0: Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your
1: relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all.
0: Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. And joining me in the virtual studios from South Bend is the man who convinced... John, Paul, George, and Ringo. No, no, not the Chartreuse submarine. The yellow submarine. Ken (laughs) Hellanious. Ken, how are you doing, my friend?
1: I'm well. How are you, Deacon?
0: I'm hanging in there.
1: That's uh, one of the scariest cartoons a kid could ever watch. The uh, the (laughs) yellow submarine movie, I'm going to tell you. Um, my wife gave me one of those Lego sets though, where I got to build the yellow submarine and, uh, and it includes the little characters and, you know, and they're dressed all in their, in their cartoonish ways. But, uh, what was really neat about that project was when you're building Lego, there are all sorts of little, little things that only the builder sees cause they get covered by other bricks. And so anybody looking at the finished model would only see the kind of stuff on the outside and i kind of remember thinking about as i'm building this i was like why are we spending all this time you know adding in bricks that are only i'm gonna see and i realized that's the real joy for the builder and in many ways uh um I think that's kind of something, you know, like when you listen to a recording, you listen to a recording artist and you're getting the finished product and then maybe you go back and you listen to some bootleg tapes or something and you hear the creative process going into that, it makes me think in some ways about God rejoicing in creation. And uh, so all of this inspired by you, (laughs) by your claim that now we can talk about chartreuse as well if we want. (laughs) (laughs) So good to see you Deacon. Uh, You know, here we are back in, uh, back in the studio together. And how have you been? How's, how are things going in your world?
0: Yeah, it's, it's going fine. It's just that, you know, my, my uh, schedule is still in flux. You know, I I still have uh, this far into, you know, into fall. I still have people switching and canceling and trying to rearrange things because of COVID and stuff. So it's just, it's a, a very strange time because usually my schedule is set, you know, um, but it's just a strange place to be. And but, you know, I I'm happy and joyful and continue to do the, the Lord's work, you know, as he's called me to do. And, uh, you know, finish the manuscript now for the book, uh, Catholic Response to Racism for Ignatius. So uh, that's off to the first uh, set, the first set of editing. You know, I try to really get the book close to a finished product Cause, like I mean this is my sixth book now so I pretty, pretty regular
1: pretty publishing machine
0: here so <laughs> I, I really I double check all the footnotes so I'm trying to save time at the at the other end of the process I just have to get some permissions uh
1: and things like that but other than that doing well I mean, how, how are things at nd ND is good, we're uh, off to the races in in school. Um, It's so good, we had an, uh, you know, we actually had a gathering with our Soren Fellows, uh, undergraduate and graduate students that are affiliated with the center, uh, and just had a, you know, kind of an opening mass and picnic together, and it was so joyful. It rained on us while we were outside, but nobody let that drive them away because we are so excited to be back together. And, uh, it was just, it's, it's good. It, we're getting ready for our first kind of events. One of the events that we were unable to do during COVID was something that we call our Soren fellow supper club. And that's where we send students, little groups of students to go to the houses of professors and, and faculty and staff, uh, to dine as a family and to to get out of the classroom and to interact with people whose vocations are the intellectual life or you know what they what they do on campus. And it's something that we're able to do again this year. And I'll tell you what, We have, I think sixteen of them throughout the semester, and everyone is full. So people are just happy to be together. and uh, and it's community. and it's it's life. And so that's that for us is one of the highlights,
0: well, that's great. I mean, because we are the body of Christ. You know, so it is important. That we overcome this fear and get and start getting back together, absolutely. you know, as, as the people of God again, you know. So, uh, excited to hear that. That's great, absolutely. Yeah, we, well, well, we finished our walkthrough of John Paul II's uh, amazing document, Evangelium Vitae. So, um, but now, you know, we before we, we start on our next wrench, you know, we got a, got a special guest today.
1: We do, indeed. And we're really excited to chat with uh, a fellow that I've gotten to know during my time at Notre Dame, uh, and probably because he himself is a Notre Dame alumnus, but uh, he's he's uh, a great guy who is involved. He's a recording artist. He's a filmmaker. He's a musician. He's um, a man of faith. And I'm really delighted to bring Michael McGlynn to come to join us here on Living Stones. And I've had the uh, wonderful opportunity to chat with Michael for the podcast that I do at the DeNicolas Center called Ethics and Culture Cast. And when we were kind of wrapping that up, I said, oh my gosh, y- your message needs to be shared with the fans of Living Stones. And because what the projects he's involved in are projects about strengthening one's faith and one's relationship to Christ. And so we are delighted to welcome Michael McGlynn from Kansas City, uh, all the way via the beautiful interwebs to join us here on Living Stones. Hi, Michael.
2: Hello. How are you, Deacon, Harold, and Ken? Good to be with you today.
1: Welcome, and welcome. Great to have you here. Absolutely. Well, Michael, maybe you can, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, where are you from? Where did you go to college? I may have already kind of spilled the beans on that one. <laughs> what did you study? Things okay. like that.
2: Spoiler alert there. Yeah. I'm, from can- I'm from Kansas City, Missouri. In uh, 1990, I was surprised with a uh, full-ride scholarship to Notre Dame to play football. Uh, I was a left tackle. I was there for four years and uh, decided to finally uh, throw in the towel and come back for a fifth year after uh, a lot of urging by Coach Holtz. So I did a fifth year. I did graduate in four years. I always like to try to make that, that point there. <laughs> and uh, did some graduate studies and completed my time there in May of 95. And it was um, it was a hard, arduous experience as it is for a lot of kiddos in college, let alone if you're trying to be an athlete and, and do well academically. Uh, and it was really, I think, the fulcrum that the Lord used to reach me, wake me up, start to purify me, and uh, place me uh, on the path uh, you know, that he wanted me on in terms of, I was on the path he wanted me on, uh, my buy-in on it. <laughs> <laughs> right. That's awesome. So, what, so, so wait, just, just because I'm an ND
0: alum, what, what dorm were you in?
2: Yeah. So uh, now we're going to get real. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I was in Dillon now. So let me qualify this real oh. quick. Uh, when I made my recruiting trip, I, the first dorm that I saw was alumni and I really didn't watch high, uh, college football when I was in high school. I was really, music was kind of my culture. So I had asked my parents where we were going on the recruiting trip. And so we get up there and I had heard of Notre Dame. I wasn't that archaic, but the first building I saw had the gargoyles and that whole bit. And I was like, I think I could go here. <laughs> I mean, ridiculous, <laughs> really? Like, that's it. <laughs> so um, what, what about you, though, uh, Deacon Harold, what dorm are you in? Oh, uh. I was in Holy Cross. May she rest in peace.
0: <laughs> you know, it was uh, no longer there anymore. You know, it was a, it was a beautiful dorm actually. You know, uh, right on the 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 crest of the hill there. You know, uh, right you could you could walk out our front door and see the grotto every day. You walk out yeah. dorm you see the grotto and um, <clears throat> it used to be the old seminary and um, uh, it, had, it was very classy with high ceilings, vaulted windows, but it was a disaster as far as maintenance. Uh, and so after uh, a few years after I was there, they, they tore it down and, uh, uh, did not rebuild since they're building new dorms on that North side of campus now. So, yeah, so it's gone. So I can't even show my kids. Where'd you live, daddy? Well, you see that hill, there used to be a building there, (laughs) 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 but my wife was in, uh, was in BP. Oh, really? Okay. Nice. Yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah. I never had the courage to walk too close to the ladies dorms. I don't know. I was, uh. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> pretty shy occasionally they would have pizza night and I'd get enough courage to make that happen but anyhow that was about it yeah so
0: <laughs> well you uh you said you uh uh Lou Holtz asked you to come back for a, a fifth year so uh what was that like what lessons did you learn from from Lou Holtz because he gives keynotes address now he speaks at graduations he yeah you know very very inspirational speaker what what did you learn from or take from your experience not just as a football player but lessons in life from Lou Holtz
2: the first thing I learned was to be on time because you dare not be late for a meeting. Uh, you certainly wouldn't want to miss a flight to Hawaii like I did my sophomore year. That, uh, that has a whole new level of, of PTSD in time, if you will. And uh, that's a true story. But uh, no, I mean, you know, C- Coach Holtz has always been a man of, of attention to detail and doing the small things right. And it took me many years after I got out of Notre Dame to realize that what he was putting us through in many ways was how to become proficient in the interior life. And because it is about a constant attention to detail and not missing, because it's the small things that can really trip us up, as we all know. So, uh, you know, his mantra, trust, love and commitment. Is something that all us players talk about? I was just on the uh, call the other day with um, uh, one of the one of the guys I played ball with and and uh, we were reminiscing about some of those adages and how they've really been things that that we've been uh, been able to apply in our lives.
1: yeah Wow, awesome. Well now, after finishing at Notre Dame. Michael, you pursued a non-athletic vocation. I mean after spending five years here uh, but you your vocation really reflected your gifts you kind of hinted at it in high school you were you were into music um, your post Notre Dame vocation has really filled that out with music and art. What have you been doing for the last 25 years or so?
2: you know, my wife has been asking me that lately too <laughs> <laughs> We're still trying to process that one. Uh, I'll I'll try to give you the uh, the clear version that I understand so far. Um, I I did after Notre Dame. I did make a beeline for Nashville to pursue music. I don't do country, but I figured that it was probably a better city than Miami, New York, or L.A. And it was really becoming a hotbed for music. So I packed up and made a beeline down there and pursued the music and. Completed a double disc album uh, with uh, a lot of band members from Gloria Estefan's band and world renowned musicians, string players, guys that, you know, guys that played drums for, you know, Genesis for 18 years and just incredible, incredible musicians. And I learned a lot from them and was mentored as well. So I'd say that, you know, uh, Coach Holtz definitely was a mentor for a lot of us in, uh, in in college, and I was in Nashville being mentored by these world renowned musicians as well. So that was a really incredible experience for me. And my wife and I married in 2000. I met her when I was in college, and she had gone to St. Mary's, but she was a couple of years older than me. So we dated for like nine and a half years long distance. Wow. And yeah, and I, exactly. Wow. I mean, <laughs> but it, there was no problem in terms of her it was, I'd waited my whole life to pursue music. And I somehow knew instinctually that marriage was a pretty big deal. And I needed to get some things taken care of as a man before I made that commitment. So, you know, my wife has an expression, she calls me last minute Jerry. So pretty much I was last minute Jerry in terms of proposing to her. (laughs) (laughs) So 21 years later, though, uh, we've been blessed with an amazing marriage and 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 just a beautiful family. My time in Nashville was really amazing, though, because I was pursuing music. I was working for the top pro audio rental company in Nashville. And this allowed me access to the best gear money can buy so I could record my music and then mentor under great engineers and producers. So it was a real journeyman's route. It was like learn how to become a gourmet chef in a gourmet grocery store, so to speak, you know but I was also going to daily mass. I was really starved spiritually. My junior year at Notre Dame, I picked up the rosary, going into that summer that, that time, and I never let go of it. I just, I needed it, and so when I got to Nashville, I was serving daily mass and starting to do adoration, and I was just, uh, there was really, I think, where my formation took place was before the Blessed Sacrament, and I didn't even really know it, just sitting in silence. Uh, day after day and and then I would and you know, I'd pray all day and I would work hard and do music and then I had my job.
1: Wow. I, I want to actually ask about that. What was your faith life, you know as a as a young man and before you came to Notre Dame? So kind of what was your relationship like with with Christ and with the church?
2: Yeah, so I, I, this is something I've really come to understand the last couple of years. I, I'm a real tall guy, and I've got a really blessed with a wonderful voice and I was athletic. So growing up, McGlynn could do no wrong, with family and friends. I was lauded. and this was a problem, because when I went to Notre Dame, I was I was just with Aaron Taylor actually out in San Diego a couple of weeks ago, and he and I had a chance to catch up and just talk about what our time was at Notre Dame. Aaron Taylor and I were USA Today first team All Americans. Our our mugs were on the first page, and. I got crazy, crazy honors, and I didn't believe that I was worthy of them. So when I got to Notre Dame, I had a real confidence problem. I didn't believe that I belonged there, my currency was music, and I didn't understand why I'm in this program, but I said yes to it, because I wanted to be obedient. Well, I was frustrated by my time there in the early days, and so I didn't want to be obedient to one more thing. And unfortunately, that was the Mass, the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass my room in Dillon was the closest to the chapel <laughs> figure that out and i would go to, i wouldn't go to mass for the first couple of years and i remember stir you know just kind of like stewing in my room on sunday nights like a wild squirrel i couldn't wait for a mass to be over i do recognize that from a young age i was given that gift of the gift of the holy spirit that fear of god i knew i was supposed to be there and i wanted to be there now this is this is the devil raging in my life, that I had faith, I wanted to practice the faith, but something was keeping me back from doing it, because I really never wanted to go to college and pursue and play football. I wanted to pursue music, and it's a very selfish thing in a sense, but um, as a college athlete, you suffer a lot too, though. So I was suffering physically under a, a number of different things, and just in terms of practice and academics, but I was also suffering interiorly. And I didn't have prayer in my toolbox. And so to get up to speed with McGlynn picking up the rosary junior year, uh, praise be God, I had some people in my life that gave witness to that. And I said yes, and it started to turn things around for me. Wow. What was your major at Notre Dame? I'd love to say graduating, but I really know what you're saying. No, though. It was, it was arts and letters. I was a film major. And so I wanted to pursue music recording actually in college. And I remember going into Crowley Music Hall and just kind of the wind being knocked out of me when I found out that they didn't have a recording program. They have lots of pianos and theory, but I wasn't into that. I I mean, I was a guy that read Mix Magazine in college. Now, if any of our listeners know, Mix Magazine is it's the Sports Illustrated of music equipment, okay? <laughs> so <laughs> the centerfold is going to be a $5,000 piece of outboard gear, at least back in the day. <laughs> so this is what I was spending my time reading. and um, But I also recognized that somehow that this was a place I was supposed to be. And I had a great relationship with my parents. And I, did, I was drawn to the fact that Notre Dame was a Catholic university with... Our lady on the dome I, that was not missed on me I don't want to give the impression that I was so absent-minded <laughs> <that> <laughs> it was just like the guy couldn't see past his own eyelashes I could relatively speaking the second school that uh, my top three were USC Colorado in Notre Dame I came back Aaron Taylor and I were the first to commit out of our class and we had a great class um, the bus, you know, Jerome Bettet. We just had so many great players in there. Wow! But yeah. when I came back uh, that that trip, I canceled my my visit to Colorado, and I found out a week later why they were so mad. I was their number one pick that year oh, as a man. Mm. But it was exhausting, and um, this is so silly. My buddy was the uh, production manager for the Share tour. Remember Sonny and Share? Share was touring and coming to Kansas City. Well, Meathead here wanted to go back behind stage and see all the equipment, so I canceled my trip to Colorado because I'd already committed. (laughs) And honestly, it's so silly. And I couldn't save face. I mean, I couldn't go through all that and pretend to these people that I was interested. You know, so I said no.
0: You know, one one thing, you know, I I also, I mean, I love music. Um, And I played uh, guitar in a jazz band at Notre Dame. And probably for about 10 seconds, I thought, wow, maybe I want to do this, you know, but but what I found that it was not, I wasn't passionate about it. I mean, I still pick up the guitar. I still noodle around. I still try to learn songs that interest me. But I just couldn't see myself every day picking it up, practicing and just loving it going like, yes, this is this is why God put me on this earth, you know. And so to um, so for you. I think it's awesome. I think it's actually inspirational for people listening. Um, that even though you went to Notre Dame, to play football, all American, probably, you know, uh, uh, some people would have been allured by the the opportunity for a professional maybe career in the NFL. You went ahead and pursued your passion, and your. I mean, how 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 do, how can people find the courage to do that? Because you know, th- they may be studying something right now or do something that's practical. But in their heart, they're going, ah, I, I wish I had the courage to step out and do this. You know How, how, do, you, how do you discover that?
2: You know, it, I think the word is discovery. In our whole lives, we're going to be discovering things. You might think that you're passionate about this or that. And yeah. I've interviewed hundreds of leaders, and I always ask them a question. Tell me a moment you feel most alive in what you're doing. They all say the same thing. I was helping someone I started to realize after I got out of Notre Dame and after I got out of Nashville and and moved on with my life that I love using the currency of music like I love that but that's actually not the end-all for me and I don't think it is for any of us uh, because that would weigh us down to the earth into tools if you will I do believe, though, that there's people that naturally love to sing, and it's how they feel God's glory. I would agree with that. That's for me as well. But a friend of mine, not to give too much away here, I know we're going to get into my story a little bit, but if it's okay to mention, I am a filmmaker today. I'm a professional storyteller. I've done thousands of films and, and, um, and have had a chance to do some really cool stuff. And I was at dinner with a friend of mine, a mutual friend of ours, Ken, actually, uh, on a film shoot a couple of months ago, and he said, you know, Mike, he said, um, because I was talking about I don't get a chance to use my music a lot today, and I haven't for some time, uh, and we can get into that whole piece of it, but he said, you help other people have a voice, and I lost it. (laughs) I just think it was a God thing of two brothers that know each other, were known to each other, and it hit a strike, because I don't do music professionally today. I can use my talent. I use it for the non-for-profit when I give talks, and I go out and do you know, Divine Mercy conferences, or Eucharistic Adoration conferences, or Marian conferences, or what have you. I'll, I'll use that, and I record music in my studio, and I write music, and I love to do that. But I'm not trying to go on the road. We're trying to raise three teenagers, for crying out loud. I mean, <laughs> I leave for one night, and the house almost burns down. So, I mean, <laughs> going on the road is not a reality. But you know what, though? Um, I've gone through all of that now. And to me, it's a wonderful gift that I can use when I have an opportunity. But when he said that to me, I thought, wow, only God would have chosen that for me. I wouldn't have chosen it. I was the dude that used to draw stages when I was 10 years old and could not wait to tour. We would get off the tarmac in Boston and I'm we're getting on a bus from a flight to play a game and honestly I'm fighting the temptation to think about how cool is it going to be when this is a tour bus. I mean talk about Walter Mitty. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, Deacon Harold, to get to your point, though, there are things that we're naturally drawn to as people, and I think that it's good for us just to be honest that on a ground level, we're kind of a mystery to ourselves. And so instead of trying to figure out the mystery, I think it's better to walk through the mystery, because there's someone that's going to reveal what that mystery is about. In His name, in His face, we know. It's Jesus Christ. Amen. Beautiful.
1: Well, you know, we don't have a lot of time left together tonight, but I want to kind of begin to tease out a little bit about would you be willing to come back and talk with us next week, for one, because I I want to continue this. I'd love to. (laughs) Wonderful. Um, Because we want to explore a little bit. You kind of mentioned you make films, and you mentioned then also kind of doing some uh, divine mercy and adoration and things like that, and so really want to move into the portion where you can tell us a little bit about how you got involved in those activities um, and what they, how those help, you know, kind of continue your living out of your vocation. Because I think the message that I'm hearing from you is to, re, to discern and respond to the call that you're receiving uh, and to be open to whatever God has, whatever God needs you to do for the kingdom is kind of the message that I'm hearing.
2: Yeah, thy will be done. I think it's the most powerful prayer of surrender we can pray. I think it takes almost a lifetime to get to that place. And uh, we need to help each other get there and say, hey, don't be afraid, because the best is yet to come. That's the truth.
1: Mm. Wow. Mm. That's awesome. Well, Michael McGlynn, filmmaker, musician, High quality guy. We look forward to uh, welcoming you back next week here on Living Stones with us because we're going to continue this conversation then. In the meantime, we invite you, the listener, to connect with us where uh, the show, Deacon Harold and I, you'll find us on Facebook at Living Stones Media. Just type that into your old search box. You can also download all the previous episodes of the show at Uh, including some about the Eucharist, which we will pick up that theme as we gather next week. Uh, In the meantime, Deacon, uh, might we have a a blessing to help us get through this week?
0: Sure. May Almighty God bless you and keep you and protect you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. Michael, can I ask a quick question? Where can people go to learn a little bit more about your ministry as well?
2: Absolutely. They can go to SistineFilms.com. And they can see some of the film work there. And then uh, uh, faceofmercy.com is another site for our non-for-profit. I've got some music up there. But in the next show, we'll talk about the new project and the really cool platform we just launched on January 1st, Feast of Mary, Mother of God.
1: That sounds awesome. We'll see you next week. Thank you, Michael. And we'll see you all next week here on Living Stones.
2: You've been listening to Living
0: Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I-Radio.com.